All right, our first scripture reading this morning is from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 11. We're going to read verses 1 to 10. We've been pairing our sermon text with the Old Testament readings that especially pertain to the birth of Jesus and foretelling that event. Uh, the same is true this morning. Uh, please hear now the word of the Lord. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the wean child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Thus far, the reading of the Old Testament, and now to the New. Our sermon text is Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 56. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months and returned to her own home. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Well, we've been talking this Christmas season about the birth of Jesus from Luke's gospel. And we've been emphasizing one of the things that he emphasizes, which is the humility of it all. Uh, Christmas is a story about humility. God came in humble form in Jesus. And through his humility, he saves the humble. And he takes those who humble themselves and he raises them up on high. But not until after they learn how to humble themselves. 
We saw a few weeks ago how humility is not something that has always been universally praised. In fact, in the Greek and Roman world in which Jesus was born, humility was considered a bad thing. Uh, Aristotle famously said that only a dog would choose to humble himself. It's not something a human should ever do. Only a dog would choose to humble himself. And yet here we see something different. God himself chooses to take the humble place. And so we today think about humility different in large part because Jesus was born this way. And we've been steeped in this story. It's an amazing thing how our culture has shifted because of the birth of Jesus. And yet if we're honest, when we come to imagine what a humble person looks like, we still think of a pretty weak person. Uh, you may have heard the, the phrase, meekness is weakness. That's kind of what we think, isn't it? Uh, one of my favorite writers says, when we think about a humble person, we imagine a greasy, smarmy person who is always telling you that he is a nobody. Isn't that what we imagine? And yet, he says, that's not humility at all. This writer says that the person who is truly humble is not thinking about humility, is not talking about himself and how humble he is. In fact, he's not talking about humility at all or thinking about himself at all because his mind has been filled with someone else. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less because you're filled with thoughts of someone else. And that's what Mary in these verses, in this great song, we call it Mary's song, that's what it's all about. Mary is clearly somebody who's learning to humble herself because her thoughts are fixed on God. Her, her mind is full of Him. And so there's no more room for her mind to be full of herself. And this morning we're going to see this. Humility and praise go together. You cannot be a humble person if you're not also a praising person. A person full of the praise of God. And the degree to which we're full of the praise of God is the degree to which we'll be able to receive the message of the gospel proclaimed to us at Christmas and indeed throughout the whole year. Uh, please look at your bulletin and you'll see three uh, very important things we want to note today about praise. Very simple. First of all, what is praise? Secondly, why do we praise? And lastly, how do we praise? What is praise? Why do we do it? And how do we do it? All from Mary's example here in these verses. First of all, what is praise? And you'll see it right at the very beginning, verses 46 and 47. Mary opens her song with a description of what she's about to do. Now, <clears throat> we call this a song, and yet, if you'll look at verse 46, it says, Mary said these words. And so, there's nothing actually here in Luke that suggests on the surface that this is actually a song or that it was meant to be sung. And yet, ever since these words were written, people have called it Mary's song because the structure of it is the structure of a Hebrew song. Uh, in English or in uh, the other European languages, the way you know something's a poem or a song is by the meter, the, the number of beats per line, or by the fact that it rhymes on the end of the line. But in Hebrew, they don't use either of those things. Instead, what they use is what's called parallelism. Parallelism. You didn't know you were going to get a poetry lesson this morning, but here you go. 
parallelism in the Bible is where you have two lines, it's everywhere in the Bible, two lines that say the same thing back to back, but in two slightly different ways, so that you get a fuller picture of what's being communicated. And all through the Psalms and all through the prophets, every time somebody's writing a song or a poem, they use that technique. They say the same thing twice, back to back, but with different ways to emphasize the different shades of meaning. Well, notice, Mary gives a little parallelism there in verses 46 and 47 about praise. She says, first, my soul magnifies the Lord, and second, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She's saying the same thing in two different ways, which means her soul and her spirit are the same thing, just two different ways of describing it. My soul, my spirit, what does that mean? My inner being. Out of my inner being is coming praise. Think about Psalm 103. That was our call to worship today. The psalmist said, um, uh, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then he says the second line, All that is within me, bless his holy name. And so there you got a parallelism too. My soul equals all that is within me. Mary says, my soul equals my spirit, equals all that is within me. From the bottom of my heart, Everything about who I really am inside is magnifying and rejoicing in God who is the Lord, the King over all, and also God who is my Savior. You see that? It's a little definition of praise. The magnification of God from the depths of the heart. The rejoicing in the Savior from the depths of the Spirit. That's praise. Now, kids, what does it mean to magnify something? You may think of a magnifying glass, kids. What does a magnifying glass do? It makes something appear bigger. That's right. Perfect. It makes something appear bigger. Now, when Mary says, I magnify the Lord, she doesn't mean, of course, that she, by her song, is making God bigger. Of course not. We don't make God bigger. What is she saying? By my song, I am showing how big God already is. I am, I am presenting verbally so that everybody else can hear just exactly how big God is in and of himself. That's what praise is. It's to ascribe the glory that is due to God, the glory that he deserves with my mouth. But it's not just with my mouth. It comes from the depths of my being. Y'all, we are often so deceived by outward appearances, aren't we? Especially when it comes to religion. In religion, we are very deceived by outward appearances. We think automatically the person who is singing the loudest and making the most show is automatically the person who means it the most. Now, sometimes that's true. But it isn't always true, is it? In fact, oftentimes the person, have you ever judged a person to be really good because of their outward appearance and then you get to know them and you realize there are snakes up in there, (laughs) there are vipers in that heart and yet they've covered over the vipers then with flowers and they look really good but inside they are anything but good. We've We've all done that. But this is telling you God does not judge in that deceived kind of way. 
He looks at the very heart, and the kind of praise that he calls us to render is a heart praise, a spirit praise. And yes, it causes you to sing loud. It causes you to sing exuberantly, but it's not just a show of exuberance. It's not just a pretended loudness. It is a loudness arising from all that is within me to the Lord. Now, this is important because Christmas, the story of Jesus' birth, before it brings us comfort, brings us a good old holy punch in the face. And I hope this morning you're ready to receive a holy punch in the face from the Christmas story. Because here's what the Christmas story tells us. Every human being has a soul. Yes. Every human being has a spirit. Everybody. Every human being, soul, and spirit magnifies something. Everyone's soul rejoices in something. Here's the punch in the face. You ready? No one naturally magnifies the Lord. No one naturally rejoices in God the Savior. Every one of us, the Bible said, like sheep have gone astray. Every single one. We are busy throughout all of our lives taking all that is within us and we're lifting it up in trust. We're lifting it up in glory to everything but God. To money. To uh, praise of people. To even good things like family. I mean, if you can name it or think about it this morning, it is something that we have worshipped. Is that not correct? And so Christmas waylays us with that as we read Mary's song. But then it comes through after it waylays us and says, Look, this Jesus who is to be born, this Jesus who is now being conceived within the womb of Mary, this same Jesus can come into your life and restore you to become a person who praises the right thing. God can help you let go of the worthless idols that have bound you throughout your whole life and give you something worth praising. Now that's good news, isn't it? Because those other things are not worth all that is within me or all that is within you. When I worship money, when I worship family, I say this all the time, but I want to remind you, as soon as I worship anything besides God, when I have that thing, I become proud and insufferable. Looking down at everybody. When I don't have that thing, I become full of self-pity and insufferable. Either way, I'm a real insufferable person when I'm worshiping something besides God. Isn't that right? There is simply no way that any good outcome can come from that. I cannot be a humble person. I can't even be a good person. But when I worship God, look at the beauty that we see here. When my soul, when all that is within me seeks to make him appear as big as he is, the Lord, who is also my Savior, my personal Savior, my personal Lord, and yet the Lord of all things. That's the path to humility. That's the path to beauty. That's the path to character. So let me ask you, do you regularly praise God according to this definition? Do you regularly praise God according to this definition? Remember when David 
the king brought the ark up to Jerusalem. The first time he tried to do that, he got punished, remember? Because he did it wrong. He thought to inquire of God the second time, how should I do it right? He found the answer from the Bible. He did it right. Remember what he did right the second time? Every so many steps, he stopped the ark and he performed, the priest performed a sacrifice and they lifted up praise to God. Then they would go a few more steps, stop, sacrifice, praise God. A few more steps, stop, sacrifice, praise God. What is that showing you, the Christian life? That's what it's showing you. We will never make it where God wants to take us if we are not consistently stopping in our lives to offer all that is within us in praise to only him. Every so many steps, we ought to praise. And if you don't have a habit of praise in your life, then you will, you will not be growing in gospel humility, gospel love, or any of those other things. All right, that's the first thing. What praise is. Uh, secondly, let's look at why we praise. Uh, in verses 48 to 53, Mary kind of gives us a window into what's going on inside of her heart. And it's simply this. And it's not rocket science, but it's something to think about. Mary praises God because she knows that God is worthy of praise. Period. You say, well, is that why I came to church this morning, to learn some, that earth-shattering thing? Well, think about it. It's actually more earth-shattering than you think. Because when we show up to praise God, what other motivations or reasons do we often bring besides that one? A bunch, right? We think, well, I want to be seen as a good person, or I know I'm supposed to do this, or, man, I don't want to go to hell, so I'll show up and do it, right? There's all kinds of reasons why we might try to praise God, besides just the simple, basic fact that God is worthy of praise. Isn't it ironic that in praising God, we can forget the very reason why we're praising God? And yet notice Mary. Mary is fixed. Her eyes are fixed on God, who he is and what he has done, not only in her life, but in all of history. Look at where she starts, verse 48. I praise God for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. He looked on me when I was low in my humble estate. Mary knows she does not have anything in herself that makes her worthy of God's attention. And yet God has shown her marvelous attention. For behold, she says, from now on all generations will call me blessed. By the way, that's the only thing in the whole song she says about herself. Everything else is about God. He does this. He did that. He is this. He is that. The only thing she says about herself is, guess what? God has blessed me. This is what a, this is what a Christian knows, right? The only thing good about me is him in me. The only thing good about my life is when he has shown up and bared his holy arm on my behalf. Which is precisely what she says. He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary knows who her God is. 
because of how her God has treated her. He is mighty. He's a powerful God, one for whom nothing good is impossible. He can do all his holy will. Mighty. It's not surprising, therefore, that the mighty one does great things. I mean, isn't that that makes sense? The mighty one does mighty things. And yet what doesn't seem to make sense to Mary, what she's amazed about, is that the mighty one would do mighty things for me. That's the surprising part. The mighty one doing mighty things, well, that's what mighty ones do. But that the mighty one would do mighty things for me. Wow. And so she says, holy is his name. The the word holy in the Bible, you might not know what that means. You may think you do. A lot of times we think holy just means pure, but it means more than pure. Holy in the Bible means set apart, different. Mary says, God, you are different. There is no one like you. No one can compare to you. Why? Because you're a mighty one who does good things for people who don't even deserve it. You're a God of might, but you're also, verse 50, a God of mercy to those who fear you. From generation down to generation, might and mercy are married together in God. If you want a banner statement for the whole Christmas message and story, that's it right there. You can take that and stitch it on a pillow. Because it's a perfect way to remind you of what Christmas is about. The mighty one is merciful. Might and mercy married in God. I mean, just think about how extraordinary that is. How many uh, human leaders have there been in the history of the world? A fair number, right? Now, think about this. There have been some great ones, and there have been some good ones. But it's hardly ever that you get both together in one leader. Do you know what I mean by that? I mean, you can be great. You can be a powerful, mighty leader who can influence people and really move nations. But a lot of times, if you're that strong, you don't have a lot of great character. And on the other side, you can have great character, but sometimes that means you're not as good and effective at leading people. And we've seen it time and time again in history. No one man has ever had both in abundance, let alone in perfection. And yet God has them both in absolute perfection. And he shows through the one man, Jesus Christ, the only king worthy of our praise because he displayed them both in perfection in all that he did for us. He did not diminish his might when he became a baby. He was simply showing his mercy He did not cease to be merciful when he rebuked people. He was simply showing his might. The two are married. The two cannot be divorced in God. And Mary says, this is the reason why I praise. God is different. There is no one that's been like him. And she just kind of goes through a list of things that God does in the gospel. Uh, He shows strength with his arm. He scatters the proud in the very thoughts of their hearts. He, He brings down the mighty from their thrones. He exalts those of humble estate. He fills the hungry with good things, and he sends the rich away empty. And here is this beautiful sort of reversal of the gospel. 
that because the mighty God was willing to become a human and to humble himself in order to show mercy, he turns everything upside down. In this world, normally it's the rich, it's the powerful, it's the beautiful, it's the smart that get everything. But in God's kingdom, it's the humble, it's the weak, it's the poor, it's the hungry. That's the message this morning. Let me ask you, are you hungry right now? I don't mean physically. Spiritually, are you hungry? Jesus, through his death and through his birth, feeds the hungry forever. Do you know yourself to be poor this morning? He has got wealth to give to you by faith. Do you know yourself to be weak? He's got strength to supply you with. But the flip side of this message is if you think you have everything you need, if you think you're on the throne of your own life, if you think you're rich, he brings folks like you down. And the only sensible thing to do if that's you is to ask him to help you humble yourself to receive the joy that Mary shares here, the joy of the humble in heart whose eyes are fixed on God. That's the reason why we praise, y'all, because God is worthy of it. When I was a kid uh, learning how to play baseball, my dad taught me the game. He was often the coach of our teams and taught us, and I was learning how to throw good and you know, when you're learning how to throw, you'll throw, and sometimes it'll go where you don't want it to go. And every time it, it did that, my dad would say, freeze. Where are your feet pointed? Where are your eyes pointed? What, where was your arm pointed? Because, you know, if your foot's turned this way and you're wanting to throw that way, you're going to end up tending that way, right? If, if your arm is coming out like this, you're going to end up going where your arm is going. If your eyes aren't looking at the target and steady on it, if you're already thinking about that awesome pitch you're going to throw before you throw it, and you forget to just keep looking at the glove, it's going to go awry. Same thing's true in your life, right? Mary's showing us this. Whatever your feet are pointed to, the direction your life is headed, wherever your eyes are fixed, wherever your arms are reaching out in desperation for, that's where your life is headed. And when we praise God, what we're saying, what we're doing, is we're saying, God, my feet are directed in your ways. My eyes are fixed on who you are, O merciful and mighty one. My arms aren't stretched out to my own resources, but they're stretched out to you to receive those good things from you. Praise explodes. We've seen what it is. We've seen why we do it. Let's last look at how we do it. Mary, once again, models for us what this looks like. Verses 54 and 55. Look at what she says. God has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy 
as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. How does Mary become a person who praises like this? And how can we become that kind of person? Well, notice what she focuses on. The word of God. The word of God. First, uh, Mary is amazed at how God treats his own word. Did you see what she said? God has helped this, his servant Israel by sending this baby to me because he remembered his mercy, which he spoke to Abraham. By the way, Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus was born. What Mary is saying is, look, God, what he spoke 2,000 years ago, he's never forgotten. He's remembered it. And now he's carrying out the very things he spoke in times long ago. God cares so much for the word that he speaks that he makes sure every part of it gets its proper fulfillment. In fact, Jesus would later say, not one jot or tittle will pass away from the law until all is fulfilled. And if you don't know what a jot or a tittle is, basically it's those two words describe the punctuation marks in Hebrew and Greek. Jesus is saying not a single punctuation mark from God's word is going to fall to the ground void and empty. Every part of God's word that he's ever spoken, God is going to make sure that he remembers and fulfills. That's how much God treasures his word. That's how faithful he is to his word. And so Mary is marveling at this and at the same time showing that she treasures God's word like he does. Because how did Mary know what God had spoken to Abraham? How did Mary know that what God had spoken to Abraham he was now doing in her day? She read it. She heard it over and over and over again. She had read the Bible. She had had the Bible read to her. She had attended every Sabbath the synagogue services as often as she was able from the time she was born. And she had heard and she had sung the great songs and the great passages of all that God had said and done through history. And she had hid it in her heart. And that had created such a delight in Mary that it filled her heart with the, the, the matter, the, the, the substance of what she would say as she prayed. And actually, if you'll pay attention to her whole song, you'll, you'll notice um, this sounds an awful lot like a lot of the songs and psalms of the Old Testament. Well, let me give you two. You can write these down and go back later and uh, check my math, but... Uh, write down 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And you'll read another woman who is having a baby by miracle, who sings a song. Her name is Hannah. She's pregnant with Samuel. And the song that Hannah sings is almost verbatim the same as Mary. Well, how did Mary know that? She read what God had said to Hannah. And what God had said to Hannah... He said to her, and Mary said back to God. Psalm 103 is the other one. Go read it. 
We, we read part of it already in our service. In Psalm 103, it's almost verbatim, the exact same themes there as here. The reason Mary is able to be a person of praise, of humble praise, is she has filled her heart with God's Word. She has become obsessed with the Word of God. She reads it, she studies it, she meditates on it, she fills her heart with it. She knows that God has so prized and treasured his word that he won't let any part of it go to waste. And she sort of gathers it up like the Israelites gathering the manna up. (laughs) Storing it away enough for her and for her family. And this is the same way, y'all, that we can become people of praise. Another story about David. He took the ark up. By praising God? Well, when he got the ark up, he started laying aside money and gold and all kinds of things to build a temple in the future. And it was his son Solomon who built the temple for God for the ark to be in. But David raised a lot of the money. And when David dedicated it all to God, he prayed a prayer. And in that prayer, one of the things he said was, God, we are now offering to you only what you had already given us. And every single thing that you and I ever offer to God is just that same way, including our praise, our words. The only thing we have to give God that's legit is what God has already given to us. And so the only way to be a praising person is to gather in the riches of Scripture Soak your soul in Scripture so that when God is at work in your life day by day, you have words to bring to Him in thankful acknowledgement and thankful praise. Did you know that in a true sense, only Jesus is our worship leader? Because only Jesus can give you a song to sing God that is fitting God. You can't make a song fitting for God. Jesus can, and he can give it to you. How does he give it to you? He already has given it to you. What you need now is his spirit to come and help you take, and not just read, but taste. Not just think about, but treasure who God is and what God has done. And so... To be a humble people, we must be a praising people. Praise requires the whole of our hearts ascribing God glory. Praise can only happen because we believe God is worthy of praise, which requires that we fix our eyes on Him, and the only way to really do that is to go to the Scriptures and to have what God has already given to us fill the storehouses of our hearts and souls. Amen?